All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from Queens, the borough of Queens in New York City. It's the 29th day of December, 2020. And before I forget, let me take this opportunity to wish all of you a happy new year and, of course, an end of this uh, horrible COVID-19 curse that's really tied us down to a great extent, and we're really hoping and praying for something a little better, uh, or at least the relief, the relief to be relieved of this uh, of this pandemic um, in 2021. Before I talk more about today's show, I do like to remind you that I am the editor of a newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh, that you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, you can call us in New York City as well at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. also like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? has done an excellent job with a lot of biotech stocks that he's uh, done very well for his subscribers. Uh, he also uh, does pretty well with the mining sector as well and also energy. Uh, but he uh, sort of rotates from sector to sector as the time requires, as the market's uh, uh, change uh, in their strength and weakness. So, uh, Chen Lin uh, is ChenPicks.com for Chen Lin's letter. What is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? And we always like to remind you also of Michael Oliver's excellent work, OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Thank each of you for uh, listening to the show, and also want to encourage you to keep sending along your uh, quest- your comments, questions, whatever you have to say about this show. Uh, send them along. We'd like to hear from you. I do, and uh, you do that by going to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions number four, taylor at gmail.com. We do also uh, want to thank our sponsors because without them there would be no show. Benchmark Metals, NV Gold, Cassier Gold Corp, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining Corp, which is really uh, doing extremely well. Uh, that is, SK is uh, with its uh, project uh, in British Columbia. So it's uh, a lot of very interesting stories in the mining sector, and um, we'll be uh, bringing you one more today with Benchmark Metals. We'll be talking to Jim Drake in just a few minutes from now about that company's progress. Um, I'd like to, before I get started with today's show, I'd like to mention that Alistair McLeod's latest article, The Psychology of Money, um, he said, and I quote, uh, this is the introduction to his article, he said, and I quote, The world stands on the threshold of monetary hyperinflation with the U.S. dollar leading the way. The final months of fiat money are coming into view. What will replace them? 
Bitcoin or gold? Uh, in this article, uh, Alistair then argues that the final solution is bound to be with central banks and government treasury departments retaining their control as issuers of money by the only means at their disposal, that is, by, by deploying their gold reserves to back their currencies, not as fiat, but as a credible gold substitute. Central banks own no bitcold, which effectively rules that out. They may try their own equivalents, central bank digital currencies, but they are simply another form of fiat money and will also fail, assuming there is enough time for them to be introduced even. In any event, the eventual replacement for fiat money needs to be beyond government control, other than the state acting as a monetary trustee, ensuring gold coin are always available for exchange. And flexible enough, they need to be flexible enough for its users to collectively set the quantity that acts as money. As formulaic medium such as uh, Bitcoin does not provide this flexibility, but gold clearly does and has proved its uh, suitability in the past. Um, so you can read more. I mean, that's the introduction to the article. Alistair always digs deep when he makes his article, uh, when he makes his case. Uh, he supports his, uh, his theories, I think, very effectively. And you can read uh, this article, easily can easily access it by going to miningstocks.com, click on the link there, and you can get right into or go directly to goldmoney.com as well. Also, the work of Michael Oliver, I believe, is very much tending to confirm Alistair's vision of a rising inflationary problem uh, due to a dollar weakness. Uh, here is what Michael wrote uh, about the Bloomberg Commodity Exchange in his weekend missive uh, this past week. He said, and I quote, The big story of 2021 is still quietly but resolutely underway, commodities versus other assets. We've analyzed most of the key components of the Bloomberg Commodity Index during the past several months, and they've all broken out upside via quarterly momentum and about half of them via annual momentum. The Bloomberg Commodity Exchange has blasted out a massive quarterly momentum structure that traces back eight years shown in prior reports. The BCOM is now pressing at a three-wave annual momentum downtrend structure that goes back a dozen years. This month's action has already exceeded the upper readings of 2019, and it won't take but another percent or so advance to close out a month over the zero line, that's at 78.34 for January and dropping 0.3 per month after that. Closing over the zero line, that's a 36-month average, will put momentum credibly above the downtrend structure. Also, as we showed in our December 15th report, BCOM's 200-week momentum has a potent buy structure waiting just above, such that if it closes out the first week of January around 79.75, it too will speak loudly. Powder kegs right next to each other, the first major up leg uh, is it around 110? So clearly, uh, you have to see the charts, of course, that go to OliverMSA.com uh, uh, to uh, sign up for Michael's letter. It's it's an excellent letter. Uh, and just a couple of comments yet. 
on the weekend what he said about gold. Any weekly close much above last week's high of 1908 will be a price breakout over a five-month old channel. But we already see enough evidence that the correction process is spent, only waiting now on resuming upside with power. We suspect that taking out the channel top will be a solid indicator of that. And with regard to silver, he said, and I quote, the clearest and most massive annual momentum breakout came in July this past year when the price touched $19.48. We expect silver will probably take out its dual historic highs of in 1980 and 2011 at around $49 in 2021 and then run. Then by 2022, it will reach levels not even pondered by investors at this point in time. Well, those are some very bullish comments about gold and silver from Michael and commodities in general. He has been very bullish on commodities. Last week, he did say something about oil and like the oil service uh, stocks probably more than oil itself. But in any event, uh, these are ways that we can seek to protect our wealth against the ravages of inflation, which certainly does seem, as, uh, as others on this show have talked recently, uh, to be uh, certainly in the making. Unfortunately, it looks like it's uh, almost inevitable. Well, turning today's show, I've titled it The Fourth Estate's Rule in Thrusting America into Fascism. Charles Hugh Smith and Jim Gregg uh, return, as I noted, Jim Gregg will be with me to talk about benchmark metals. Fascism is a system of government that cartelizes the private sector, centrally plans the economy to subsidize producers, exalts the police state as a source of order, denies fundamental rights and liberties to individuals, and makes the executive state the unlimited master of society. By that definition, fascism is now rising rapidly in America. The so-called fourth estate refers to the press and news media, both in explicit capacity, advocacy, and implicit ability to frame political issues. It wields significant indirect social influence. At no time in American history has the press manipulated the outcome of a presidential election more toward a party espousing economic fascism than in 2020. Charles uh, will discuss that and how it will impact our economic lives. Uh, and I, I do think maybe Charles will have a slightly different uh, definition of what is going on in America. He may not call it fascism, but we'll, uh, we'll discuss that with him in the second half of today's show. And right after we go to a commercial break, uh, Jim Grieg will be with me to uh, talk about the excellent progress that Benchmark Metals has been making uh, on their project in British Columbia. So uh, don't go away. We're going to go to break now, but we'll be right back with Jim Gregg. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Benchmark Metals is an advanced gold-silver exploration company that is rapidly advancing its Canadian gold-silver project to a production decision. Benchmark is nearing completion of its largest program to date, with up to 100,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling in 2020. The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group management team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. Visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success. Cassiar Gold Corp. trades on the OTCQB under the symbol CGLCF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GLDC. Its flagship asset, the Cassiar Gold Project, is a large advanced stage road-accessible gold property with an NI43-101 compliant resource estimate of 1 million ounces at 1.43 grams per ton gold at the Taurus near-surface bulk tonnage gold deposit and 15 kilometers of high-grade gold prospects. The property hosts several past-producing high-grade gold mines and is in search for the next multi-million ounce gold camp in British Columbia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Jim Grieg. He is the president uh, uh, of Benchmark Metals, and this is a company, of course, I've been following now for a couple of years. It's really doing a great job of outlining and uh, establishing a very substantial gold and silver deposit in, in British Columbia uh, on the lawyer's deposit, on the lawyer's project, and it's really a very great to have Jim with me. Thanks for joining me again, Jim. Always a pleasure to be on your show, Jay. It's always uh, good to talk to people who are having success. It's more fun anyway, and you guys have been doing yeah. quite quite well. I know that you set out. Uh, I see, you know, initially when I first started following you, and this, you know, a year or so ago, uh, talking about a minimum five million five million gold equivalent ounce uh, resource. Um, how are you? How do you feel you're doing in that regard? Well, our, our 5 million ounce target uh, would be something we think we could achieve perhaps with another year of drilling uh, through 2021 and into 2022. Mm-hmm. However, our, our near-term resource, uh, we're anticipating a brand new bulk tonnage resource estimate uh, for the end of Q1 next year. So conceivably in about three months' time, we should have what sh- appears to be a multi-million ounce gold silver resource um, all at surface gold and silver ounces so we're quite excited um, about this achievement and uh, leading up to this we'll have uh, a lot of drill results coming out through January and into late February yeah you had a uh, an 87,000 meter program 387 drill holes that's quite a substantial program 
Um, and results, uh, you say, I guess they're backed up in the lab, and so you expect to have have them out. Um, when did you say the end of this next quarter, the end of this year? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the end of the first quarter of this year, we'll have the resource estimate. But um, as part of the resource estimate, of course, is all the recent drilling that we just completed. So we've let out um, some holes, not not a comprehensive list of holes, but th- this is partly due to the fact that the laboratories are anywhere from eight to 10 weeks behind. So we anticipate um, a lot of results coming forward now right through to January and February. And at the tail end of these results, we should be putting out that new resource estimate. Yeah, and uh, that's really certainly something that people will be looking forward to. Your targets here, I believe, at this stage are really open pit or or surface uh, deposits, are they not? That's right, yeah. Um, It's all open pitable uh, type mining scenarios that we're looking to achieve here. Uh, There's three large zones with gold and silver mineralization right at surface. Uh, There is potential for underground mining and we have uh, drilled some deeper holes and hit some good mineralization at depth. Um, But of course that would follow the open pit mining in later years. And you've had, um, I don't know if it's a historical resource or of some sort there, right? In the past? Yeah, that's right. When we took over this project uh, well over two years ago, uh, we compiled some of the historical data and we had a a small resource to begin with. Uh, But through the course of the last two years, we've extended all these zones by hundreds of meters up to 1.2 kilometers in the Mm -hmm. largest zone. Um, so, you know, the the gold and silver silver mineralization is truly growing rapidly, not only on strike, but at depth. Um, so this, this is really the maiden bulk tonnage uh, resource estimate that we'll be putting out. Um, the initial resource was a very small, high-grade uh, resource built on all old data from many years ago. And this is um, in, in northern northern British Columbia in the, in the Golden Triangle, but it's the, uh, you know, things have improved an awful lot there in terms of um, infrastructure, have they not, in the last 10, 20 years or so? Yeah, that's right. We're, I mean, this was a formerly producing mine, um, but uh, we are in a road accessible area of north central British Columbia. Uh, truly is a proven and prolific area. There's a world-class gold copper mine that sits 45 kilometers from us. Uh, that's the uh, Kames Gold Copper Mine. Mm-hmm. And so we truly are in a district where you can explore, permit, and put a mine into production. And we're looking to do this in, in a very short time period, um, giving we have quite a robust treasury. We can pay for the next two years' work uh, to get us to a mining decision and a feasibility study in 2022. And um, in 2022, you're, you're an economic and feasibility study. All right. that That's um, looking forward to that for sure. But uh, I guess the drivers will be, you know, resources and some of your, your numbers. Um, uh, the numbers that are coming out, we're looking forward to those and uh, should be what gets people uh, – Tuned in. Your share price has been sort of flat recently. It's not. It's not been yeah. doing a lot. I suppose in part because there's been not a lot of information coming. But it certainly looks like a uh, like like a uh, a very possible 
really good story from what I can see in terms of its um, in, in terms of the size and I I guess you really you probably need something uh, get you get you in up over five million ounces um, to really get people excited about it and how far do you think that you would take this yourselves I mean is this something you wouldn't go into production I suppose you'd probably be looking for someone a major that would come along and be hungry for another five million ounces of gold Ideally, yes, Jay, uh, we would like to set this up to a, a situation where um, we can prove um, prove a large amount of ounces, but also move along the permitting path and then have a major miner take us over. That would be ideal, uh, but until that time occurs, uh, we continue to work towards um, engineering efforts and expanding the resource area. So over the next three to six months, I think you'll see a lot of robust news flow and achievements and milestones coming from Benchmark. Uh, You'll see drill results over the next two months. That'll be followed by this large bulk tonnage resource estimate. And then on the back of the resource estimate, we're, we're already in planning stages here to complete a preliminary economic assessment. So that would be our first economic study on this project. Mm hmm. Well, that, uh, that's certainly something to look forward to. And um, so, I mean, it really so much of this industry and, and especially in the exploration sector hinges on how well the markets are doing for gold and silver. And, and I just in my introductory segment here, I talked a little bit about some of the, val- some of the views of, of folks like Michael Oliver, who is a frequent guest on this show, and he's, he's just extremely bullish on gold and silver. Um, I guess the other side of it, though, is the cost. And if we're in, heading into an inflationary period of time, uh, that is something also that needs to be considered. But um, what are what are your thoughts about, and what is the, are the thoughts of management about about this uh, gold and silver market uh, now and going forward? Yeah, I think we're we're in um, a good area right now in the precious metal sector. Uh, the fundamentals are quite strong here to support higher gold and silver prices. And, um, you know, a lot of it's COVID related, of course, um, but there's such extreme debt and money printing happening, not only in Canada and, and in the U.S., but around the world. And uh, this enormous debt that's being created is very supportive of higher gold and silver prices. It certainly seems to be, and and one wonders. Uh, I I believe that that was true before COVID. In terms of COVID now, um, what are what is the protocol? Are your people able to to move in and out of out of there? Or you have people that are stationed up there that are doing the work, or, or how are you functioning with COVID? We we actually just finished our uh, program um, in mid December uh, weeks ago. And uh, through the course of um, about uh, five, well, almost almost six months of work in the field, we didn't encounter one single COVID case. We're following very strict protocols that most of the miners use, mm-hmm. uh, and that does include wearing masks and prohibiting um, visitors or, or uh, new people from entering our project area without uh, notice to uh, keep some strict quarantine measures in place. So we were quite successful with um, no sickness or no problems this year, and I, I would anticipate we follow this same type of program into the spring and summer of next year as well. Now I'm noticing that uh, on 
the 21st of December, you announced uh, the acquisition of PPM Phoenix. Can you talk about that? Sure, and that that's a bit of a legacy, um, and a, a final announcement. Uh, that was part of our acquisition of this lawyers project mm-hmm. um, in 2019, and it was a bit of a, uh, I'll say, uh, paperwork took a while to officially come out in documentation, um, but that was a, an announcement that was actually completed um, well over a year ago. So the okay. the Phoenix Precious Metals is actually the private owner of this ground, and we took over 100% ownership of it uh, last year. Subject to any uh, any uh, royalties or anything? There's a there's a small 0.5% royalty, um, but Benchmark does indeed hold 100% of the ground in the claims. All right. Um, so I guess what we need to be keep our eyes on um, early. Uh, well, I guess, what did you say, late Q1? Uh, no, no, that's the maiden resource. And so... That's right, yeah. So news results will will um, be coming uh, out soon. I would anticipate um, right through all of January and February, you should mm-hmm. see regular news flow on gold and silver uh, drill intercepts. Well, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we get a strong gold market and silver market um, along with some robust numbers the share price would uh, would respond to that quite nicely I, I'm, I'm expecting and hoping as a shareholder it does so uh, anyway anything anything else you'd like to conclude with today yeah I just think that timing is quite good for us with um, the majority of our results uh, to come from the lab uh, with a good run in gold and silver here in the new year I think it bodes well for uh, a much higher market cap and benchmark all righty. Uh, very good. Well, uh, we'll leave it go at that. And uh, thank you very much, Jim, for uh, for your time. And uh, we look forward to uh, keeping up with you in the new year. Very good, Jay. Thanks. Thanks for uh, listening to the story and your support. You bet. It, uh, we're, we're just trying to make some money, that's for sure. And I think there's a good shot <laughs> with the benchmark. All right. Thanks. Very thanks good. so much, Jim. All right, folks. Well, uh, don't go away. We're going to go to break now. And when we come back, uh, we'll look for Charles Hugh Smith uh, to be with us. And uh, He's going to talk about some, I think, some very, some very concerning issues about the media and the inability uh, for certain people to get their stories out. Thankfully, we're able to give you the stories uh, on this show about these companies, um, but there certainly are some interests that don't want to hear everything. It's uh, the free press, the uh, the First Amendment rights that we once enjoyed in America do not seem to be there for everyone these days, and we're going to talk to. Uh, Charles Hugh Smith about that when we come back right after the break, so don't go away. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. NV Gold Core, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, a globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. 
Visit NVGoldCore.com to learn more on this exciting story. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Charles Hughes-Smith. He's been with me on the show a few times in the past, and it's really good to have him again. And I would suggest that you uh, jot down the website or the blog site, I should say. It's it's charleshughsmith.blogspot.com, Charles Hugh Smith, H-U-G-H, smith.blogspot.com, Charles Hughes Smith dot blogspot.com. I'm having a little trouble getting tied up with my words here. Um, but anyway, that, I really hope that uh, people will take advantage of, of the wonderful work that Charles does. He writes uh, really a lot of honest, uh, straightforward uh, commentary on, on uh, what's going on in the world today. Uh, and I think we need more straight shooting instead of the, uh, uh, the kind of things that are the sort of Things that are run through a sieve or run through a uh, a, a blocking system that, uh, well, there's certain things that you're supposed to hear and certain things that you're not supposed to hear. Uh, Charles is the author and the proprietor of the popular blog spot, the blog uh, of twominds.com, of twominds.com. So that's what you need to go to. Um, he's written several books as well, uh, Why Everything is Falling Apart, and Unconventional Guide to Investing in Troubled Times. Uh, money and work unchanged. There's a lot of good work that he's done, and uh, and he does um, he does need some support, um, and um, you know because he uh, he uh, he gets paid for the work uh, voluntarily. He provides generously provides a lot of work, free stuff. Um, so we're really pleased to have him with us today. But we really want you to consider supporting Charles and his work because I really think it's it's worthwhile. Thanks for joining me, Charles. Thank you, Jay. It's always a pleasure. You know, I'd like to argue, uh, really like to focus uh, on a very troubled, a very troubling subject from my perspective. An article that you recently wrote. This is dated December twenty-first. Big media selling the narrative and crushing dissent for fun and profit. So you started out your December twenty-first article with the statement that, and I quote. The U.S. has entered an extremely dangerous time, and the danger has nothing to do with the COVID virus. Indeed, the danger long preceded the pandemic, which has served to highlight how far down the road to ruin we have come, end of quote. Um, So I'd like to ask you, maybe you could talk about the dangers and about, um, you know, what what is, how have they been in in place long before uh, covid Right. Well, it's a great topic, Jay, and thank you for um, asking me to speak about it. And, of course, you, uh, if everybody that creates content on the Internet is um, has experience or has heard from other people 
uh, from their experience of what we call shadow banning or censorship. And this is what's uh, so troubling is that these privately held corporations, right? These are private Mm -hmm. sector corporations, Twitter, Google, Facebook, and so on, that they they have the power now to um, censor um, those of us who post uh, content on their sites. And and this was um, a new... uh, this is a new development in American history because if you go back to the beginnings of the internet in the late 1990s or early 2000s, before the dominance of these platforms, it was kind of like the Wild West, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, you could post content and put out a blog and um, and there was no censorship um, on these sites because mm-hmm. there was no platform that controlled it. But now the, the major flow of, of content is now dominated by these um, platforms and by their other media um, uh, kind of outlets. In other words, you know, as, as you've discussed on your program, there's like six corporations control virtually all the media in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. From, from films to, to radio to, um, to the Internet. And so um, this is disturbing because we don't have any recourse mm-hmm. um, in our legal system because as soon as you sign on to one of these platforms – and you agree to their terms of use, and their terms of use say we own whatever you've you've placed on our site, and we control, you know, everything about it. Who who gets to see it, um, who doesn't get to see it, and so on. And we're not obligated to share with you what we've banned or censored um, or shadow banned. And um, so that that I think is extremely troubling because you 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 know. You have no legal recourse. Whereas, like, let's say if if the if your local government censored something, then you could go to the courts and say, I, I believe this is an infringement of my uh, my free speech rights, and then you'd have recourse, right? There'd be a court case, and 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 and. But now it's like, who do you sue? You can't. You, you know, they just they just tell you, well, you agreed to these terms of use, and so. Um, you know, you, you used, uh, before we started recording, uh, or before I came on the air, uh, you mentioned the word fascism, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a red-button word, but um, I, I, it, it's, um, as you described it to me, I think it might be appropriate for this kind of censorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, in my definition, I think the Austrian School of Economics uh, uh, defined fascism as uh, government and the private sector in bed together, controlling or working together for their own selfish interests, essentially. And and so here's the thing, though, Charles, that newspapers, I believe, can be sued for defamation or whatever. And there's an awful lot of things on, let's say, Twitter and Facebook and places like that where certain people are allowed to say very nasty things and other people are not allowed to even speak the truth. Uh, and and yet and and uh, you know and I've heard a lot of conservatives defending this notion of uh, you know of what you just described uh, with the private sector. Uh, well, it's a private company, so they can do whatever they want. Uh, but we've have we have this situation where there is so much power and the control in the hands of so few people that they can really filter out anything that is distasteful to them, right? Right, and it's like. Uh how do how do we um, how do we make good um, judgments as a people in a democracy when the narrative is being managed by a handful of corporations, right? And um, that's that's really troubling because if we don't get the full spectrum of opinion, 
then um, they're really managing our democracy, right? And so we could actually say that this sort of censorship and, sh- and shadow banning is actually undermining democracy because as, if you don't get a full spectrum of opinion, um, then you can't really make reasonable uh, assessments, right? Uh, you can't make a good decision if you've mm-hmm. been denied access to the information. And I think I want to make a point here. You know, it's very, um, you know, as you well know, we've, we live in a very polarized age, and so everything gets politicized. But a lot of this censorship has nothing to do with um, whether, you know, you are anti-Trump or pro-Trump or any of that kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's like information about, like, say, COVID treatments or COVID sure. vaccines. And, and mm-hmm. so... It's, it's just simply like opinion or variations of, of information. And so that's what's disturbing, too, is it's, it's not just like, well, we're banning hate speech. We're banning all kinds of speech. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the general public probably at first said, okay, well, we understand, you know, if you have hate speech, you have people that want to kill other people. And they say that on, you know, and I'm, you know, or threaten people. You know, it's understandable for a civilized society to say, well, maybe we shouldn't allow that to go on. But the idea that, for example, um, you know, on, on treatments, for example, that the credible scientists have differed with the mainstream or with the uh, CDC, for example, you know, very well known up until now, at least until this COVID thing came along, would have been highly respected. And But the... But the um, you know, the public has been deprived of the other side of the story. And so you have to think that somebody is calling the shots and deciding, you know, who who who, sh- who do we want to hear and who do we not want to hear? Forget about the truth. Let's just, uh, you know, our truth. My truth is my truth and your truth is your truth, Charles. But, you know, there's no objective truth. It's like, it seems like we're not allowed to hear objective truth. So I think you make a very good point. How can we, how can we really have a, democracy if we're not allowed to know what the truth is or at least explore it so you know I'd, I'd like to ask you a little bit maybe just define um, the shadow banning a little bit how that works and how that uh, affects people right I think that's uh, a good a good topic because it, you, we, you, we see that term but what exactly does it mean and what it means is that if, if um, say if you have a YouTube channel and you post a, a YouTube video um, YouTube could bring it down. They could notify you, we are taking this off, you know, the internet for this reason, right? And then you know you've been banned. Mm-hmm. But shadow banning is a little sneakier. What happens is Twitter, for example, in my experience, is you can go ahead and post a tweet, but you don't know that, that it's no longer visible to a huge percentage of your audience. And that if they try to retweet it, they're blocked, so in other words, it's like you can't, your tweet can't be distributed by um, other people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, on, on, and Facebook's the same way. You can put a post on Facebook, but you have no idea who actually gets to see that. Because if you've been shadow banned, it's like you get to see it and, and maybe nobody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and there's no way to know this. There's no there's no disclosure required by these by these platforms, and if Google, you know, Google is also uh, capable of shadow banning by by deleting your ranking. In other words, you used to be on page one. Um, well, now you're on page twenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? No one's going to see you. No, and and how? Why did that happen? Do you have any recourse? Can you can you? Is there a court 
within Google that um, that will hear your case? No, it's impossible to even get through to 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 contact anybody in these platforms. So that's where shadow banning is so insidious, and I think you could even use the word toxic, because. Um, the control of, of who gets to see things and, and who gets to follow your links or, or if you can retweet. And so I guess I should say that um, there are, uh, in, in response to this, there are the growth of platforms um, that are um, that people are going to that, mm-hmm. that um, are not dominant and therefore are, are, are more open, you know. Now, I don't know whether that's that's also hard to assess too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, uh, for example, Glenn Greenwald, who is uh – you know, more of a, a, I'd say, a moderate, uh, uh, a moderate, uh, let's say, a moderate Democrat, probably, or or at least somebody who's not a mainstream Democrat, uh, in now anyway, uh, since Snowden and uh, the Snowden event and uh, Julian Assange and, and some of those people, um, and, and I mean, what he has uh, he has started his own uh, his own show, and I think he's on a different platform. Do you know anything about that? And in, in a way that. Maybe he is free of, uh, or at least hopes he's free of some of these other censor, censorships. Right, right. Um, I forget the name of the platform he's on. Um, might be Slack or, or yeah. another one. But um, yeah, and, and as you alluded to when you very kindly asked your audience to support my work, um, you know, what happens is also uh, when your YouTube channel is, is shadow banned or deleted, then you lose the income that that you used to get from mm-hmm. ads on that. And so it's, they call it demonetization. In other mm-hmm. words, you, when you, when your content gets pulled from the platform, you lose all the income stream that you had once had from um, ads and, and so on. And so now it's, it's, it's um, authors like Greenwald and uh, people like me, we, we use like Patreon or we, we go directly to the readers and say, please uh, give us a dollar a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's a positive development because the, the readership can, can support the authors or the content creators directly. They don't mm-hmm. have to go through. But it does require the sacrifice of taking your hard-earned money and, and giving it to uh, content creators that you, you know, uh, admire or favor or, or believe mm-hmm. or creating value. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, but that's a, that's a free market. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, pay, that's right. you, you get what you pay for. If you want something for free, you're going to get a lot of things that other people are, are going to give that information for an ulterior motive that you may not be aware of. Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering how this, this, this whole concentration of power in the hands of the few, uh, you know, how did it come about? And I, I mean, I have some ideas about it. I think it has a lot to do with the monetary system and, uh, you know the the creation of money out of nothing, and when the governments are involved, obviously people that are attached to government uh, or to the feeding trough of the Federal Reserve are advantaged to those uh, compared to those that aren't uh, that close to the to the pro- to the uh, to the new money being created. Uh, but do you have any ideas? Because this concentration of power is something of both political parties, well, certain members of both political parties. I'm afraid that both political parties are probably slopping around with the rest of the pigs in the in the swamp but um do you think there's any chance that some of these things could be corrected that you know we had the antitrust uh things that took place in the 1930s and do you think there's any chance that we might there may be a political solution from the top down or do you think that the 
the people at the top uh, are so much entwined in this uh, in this in this sewage that nothing will will be taken care of. Jay, I think you've I, I did a great job encapsulating really the core issue going forward in terms of American democracy, and I think I totally agree with you. And we can just I'll try to speak to it very quickly. What you talked about, it's the financial system that created this concentration Mm -hmm. of power. And the way it did it was huge corporations and financiers have basically unlimited access to cheap credit. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if you and I want to go borrow, um, you know, $300 million, um, you know, we're not going to get it. But if you're a corporation, oh, well, the sky's the limit. You know, we can just uh, float your bonds and we'll take a big cut, you know meaning Goldman Sachs or, or you mm-hmm. know, the, one of the big Wall Street firms. And so if you have this kind of cheap credit, then it gives you the, it gives you the um, power to, um, to go out and buy up another media company. And so um, then this is how you only get six corporations own virtually all the media. And then the same thing with the banks, right? There used to be, and you, you've probably seen these charts or maybe directed your listeners to them, where there used to be like 40 or 50 large um, diversified banks. Mm-hmm. And um, now there's like five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've become so uh, central to the, the financial system that now they're, quote, too big to fail, right? Mm-hmm. So now the government bails them out. And so, um, but it all starts with access to unlimited credit created by the Federal Reserve. And um, in terms of antitrust, I totally agree with you that we had successful antitrust in the early 1900s against like um, the oil, uh, you know, the Rockefeller Trust and, mm-hmm. and other large concentrations of power. Now the question is, can we do that with big tech and, and big corporate power? And um, it, it, it was a little easier, I think, to say when it was oil or a commodity, you know, that you could say, okay, who controls the pricing and, and so on, where like with the platforms, it's new, it's new ground, you know, like the legal experts are really going to have to go through this and go, how do we break up or limit the power of these platforms? And so it's, um, and it's, a, it's a challenge because as you say, we don't want to say private companies don't have... Um, the right to do their business as you know in response to the market and so on but we also have to realize that when those corporations own platforms and the media that then influence our democracy they are in a different category than a company that's um you know making semiconductor chips or um you know distributing wheat or oil or something like that mm-hmm. yeah and i just wonder if the uh if the people in the senate are senators and and uh elected officials uh, at, at the higher levels of government are, are not so compromised that there just aren't enough of them that are in agreement with fixing the problem. I, I just wonder about that because obviously, um, you know, money money seems to uh, finance huge campaign uh, expenditures. I think I heard down, in, down there in um, uh, the one that's coming up, the runoffs down there uh, in Georgia, that uh, each of the Democrat candidates have raised $100 million dollars. Uh, so, you know, this is big money and the people that have power are just simply gaining more power. Uh, and, uh, of course, we have a, a, an economy that is, uh, I think, on the brink of some very disastrous uh, things, too. And I know that you write and cover a lot of those ideas as well. Uh, you had uh, maybe you would like to talk a little bit about your own shadow banning. How did you come to how did you come to find out that you were being shadow banned? 
Uh, well, thanks for the, the question, Jay. Um, what happened was it was in the, um, the run-up to the 2016 um, election, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I posted a few things. Not, I, I, I'm not really a political writer. I'm more like finance, but I, I posted a few things questioning uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign and, um, and certain issues that were uh, present at that time, and um, then I got put on this list uh, by some shadow company or organization which had no board of directors, n- nothing public. It was just like a shell. And it listed a bunch of us bloggers and, and people who'd um, written things that were against the, 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 the narrative, which was um, that it was Hillary's basically crowning, you know, that she deserved the, <laughs> the mm-hmm. presidency for whatever reason, and you shouldn't yeah. question that. Mm-hmm. Well, and so then we were all, we were all labeled as Russian um, propagandists or, um, you know, somehow influenced by Russia. And it was like with no evidence and no recourse, right? And so then the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos of Amazon, published this front page story going, oh, well, here's a list of all the Russian propaganda sites. <laughs> and then a few months later, I, I, you know, I looked at my server traffic and it just, it just collapsed like by a third. Hmm. And it was like so overnight, in other words, like, and then I looked at like my links that used to come in from, from Google and Facebook, and then they plummeted from thousands to you know, like a few hundred. And wow. so that's, that's what happens. And so um, that's my direct experience. And I, I have a screenshot of my server where you can see it drops from, you know, X number of tens of thousands, you know, it just drops in half. And so and that's how I know. And um, other people have similar experience. And I had readers telling me, hey, I can't retweet your posts. Oh, uh, yeah. So did you... Um how did you find out you were on that list? Was it was it published uh, in the in the post? Yes, it, it, they they posted a, a big link uh, so you, to the yeah, so, and my so you, I was on there. Yeah, so you were one of those um, Russian Russian connections, I guess, that Donald Trump was part of, right? Uh, yeah, the, and they called this list "prop or not," meaning like, is this propaganda or not? Uh-huh. And um, they, they didn't accuse us of being on the payroll of, of Putin or something, but they just said we were like, you know, tools of, of Russian influence. And it was like, uh, you know, it, those of us who are not political, you know, we're mostly financial writers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, it was just so offensive and so, um, so stupid, you know, so absurd. And yet yeah. it, was, it was promoted by the big media corporations and then what happens is when the washington post pu- publishes something on its front page everyone assumes it's legitimate so oh, then yeah. the newspaper so that so then then you've got the um the tv shows are saying well the washington post published this and so it's like what they call circular referencing right mm-hmm. like well as one as long as one big media source says it's it's um it's legitimate then everybody else assumes that and and nobody did any digging like, where did these guys come from? Where did this list come from? How, what justification or evidence do they have to support this? And, of course, there was none. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, if, you're, if you pop up on the Washington Post, the New York Times, or one of those places, uh, most people um, assume it's, it's, uh, it's legit. And I guess at one time, maybe that was more true. But, uh, but some of these major newspapers have had their issues, uh, if people only knew uh, the story that the New York Times uh, – suppressed 
about the Ukraine and uh, a recent movie just come out. I think it was Mr. Jones or something like that, a reporter, uh, where Stalin was, um, you know, was um, essentially starving the people in Ukraine to get the wheat and uh, to buy gold so he could do what he needed to do. Uh, you know, that was an, a New York Times suppression, actually, that won a, a, a Pulitzer Prize. So uh, these things happen. And these people are not are not the gods that they're made out to be, I'm afraid. Um, so I, I just wonder, I mean, to what extent, I just hope somehow, you know, you talk about the possibility of uh, the pendulum swinging back. Um, I mean, is that wishful thinking or... You know, the pendulum does eventually swing back. It took 70 years, however, for the pendulum to swing in Russia, the Soviet Union, with all the misery and suffering and totalitarian control and poverty that resulted from a socialist communist system. Um, You know, is that what we're looking at here? Well, that's a great topic. And, of course, we're speculating. But um, what we can kind of, I think, guess or forecast is time is compressed now. You know, everything happens much faster now. And so, you know, entire industries, you know, are, are born in a few years and become dominant. And so it, it may be that the political sort of a glacier is speeding up as well. And um, I, I am hopeful that um, we've seen things like um, the anti-Wall Street uh, movement. And there have been these sort of populist movements. And it mm-hmm. may take something where... Um, somebody organizes a new political party, for example, and it um, and and then suddenly they start winning elections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it may be something like that, where people just simply abandon the the um, as you say the the, the swamp creatures. Yeah. And um, w- that hasn't happened yet, but I think it could happen. And if it if if people feel like their interests are going to be served by a new party, much better than the existing parties. They will flock to it, and it could be a, it could become a very powerful movement very quickly. Um, yeah. So, that's what that's one possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, we can we can only hope, and we can only hope that the votes are counted properly. Uh, there seems to be some <laughs> seems to be some question about that. Uh, at least not from Democrats so much as as from some Republicans. Uh, I don't know what the truth is on that, but the point is that there is a lot of concern, and seems to be some legitimate concern. But whatever. Um, so I just wanted to mention also you in your article you talked about you have done a video with Gordon Long with about a minute left. Would you care to just talk about that? Uh, yeah, that was our attempt to uh, shed some light on on this concentration of power that you mentioned in the media and the and the consequences of that for our democracy. In other words, it's very it's very destructive when all the power and money are held in the hands of a few. I mean, that's what we call neo feudalism, right? Mm-hmm, and sure. democ- democracy is based on what Winston Churchill said, which is trust the people. <laughs> and so you got to give the people free access to the information, and then you trust them to make good decisions. Can uh, and we're, we're we're getting away from that? Can you tell people where they could see that video? Is it still available? Uh, well, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, it hasn't been banned, <laughs> and um, I, I guess the best way is to just uh, go to my website, either the Blogspot one you mentioned or uptominds.com, and just scroll down to pick up that um, that link on the December 21st article. 
Excellent. Well, I hope our, our listeners will do that and uh, and also follow your work on a regular basis, Charles, because it's it's excellent work. It's insightful, and it's not something you hear from everybody. Uh, you always have your own ideas uh, of two minds, uh, very, very worthwhile. So uh, thank you so much for being with us, Charles, and I wish you all the best. Thank you yeah. so much, Jay. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week. Next week, Jim Rickards is with me. Uh, to discuss his latest book titled The New Great Depression. Also joining me will be Michael Oliver, and I think uh, we have a surprise company coming on as well next week. Uh, El Oro, I think, is going to be here, and Quentin Henning will be talking about that company's uh, project in Bolivia, of all places. So uh, until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 